This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It is Oregon week, 4 o'clock kickoff in Autzen Stadium. And as they say, it never rains at Autzen Stadium. But I think it's, I think it rained there yesterday on Friday. I believe it rained. So hopefully this afternoon we can avoid the rain because I'm down on the sidelines. So uh, 4 o'clock kickoff on Big Fox today. And um, it's... We've been doing this long enough. There's three road trips that are always difficult. Wazoo, Corvallis, and Eugene. Corvallis, every one of them is about five hours, so it's really impractical to fly there. So you pretty much have to drive if you're going to drive. Was it you? Were you with me, Chris, when I got the ticket down in Eugene? Yeah, for doing the improper U-turn. Not illegal. Yeah, improper. When I asked, yeah, I didn't get any answer. We were lost, and Sweet Lou was in the back, you know, make a Yui, make a Yui. And there was two signs that said no U-turn, so I went to the next light, no U-turn. I went to the next light. It was fine. I made a U-turn in the middle of, like, a warehouse district with nobody around at midnight, confused on where we were at, and made a U-turn. And, yeah, blue lights. Didn't, Didn't help me with directions back to the hotel. Just gave me a ticket. It was what, 475 bucks, I think it was. So yeah. if you're going to be driving down to Eugene or Corvallis, the Washington plates, do the speed limit. So anyways, uh, this sets up. Is it me or does it seem a little quiet for Oregon week? It does. I think some of it has to do with Washington's <clears throat> defense not being great, although they did show some signs of life. Uh, last couple weeks, but um, not looking the Husky defense not looking great, and Oregon's offense just being one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country. And I think people are worried that uh, this is just going to be a boat race from the get go. You know what's? I don't have the stats up, but it just seems like Washington's defense hasn't played that well. But the, the stats kind of indicate differently. Well, it, it just depends on on how you read those stats, and th- this is where. Chris Peterson's stats are for losers uh, comes in because the stats, I don't think, tell the complete story. I think Washington's done relatively well stopping the run and they haven't, you know, given up a ton through the air. But boy, does it seem like they've they just get carved up through the air. And, and you know, some of the some people would say, well, that's because they can't run against the Huskies. I said, no, I think one of the reasons why rush Washington's rush defenses looked pretty good was because teams knew that they could throw on them at will. Well, last week that didn't happen with Oregon State's, you know, Ben Goldbrinson couldn't throw the ball very well. The wind was up and um, they had some open receivers down the field and he just didn't connect. So I, I think Washington is playing right on the razor's edge right now defensively. Yeah, it just seemed that that quarterback, Goldbrinson, that may have been the worst quarterback Washington's faced in a while. 
Uh, it might have been. Yeah. I mean, it, he he did not play well. That That's definitely for sure. Yeah. And just looking at the stats real quick, Oregon's giving up 26 points a game and 26.3 and Washington's uh, giving up 26.8. So, um, you know, actually points per game is pretty close, but Oregon's been ahead of so many other people. And then you take out that uh, Georgia game and that kind of skews the stats. But overall defense, when you're taking a look at the stats, Utah, number one in the conference at 344 yards a game. Washington's at uh, 355. Oregon is six at 384. So it's only about 30 yards a game difference. Yeah, it's 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 not too much difference. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, you talk about the stats kind of skewing some things. You know, Washington's giving up, like, like you said, Kim, 355 a game. 117 rushing, which nationally puts them in the top 25. But I don't think there's any but any Washington fan that thinks Washington has a top 25 rush defense. If you watch them play against Oregon State, for instance, Oregon State could do what they wanted to on the ground for the most part. Now, Washington came at halftime and made some nice adjustments and, sh- and shut uh, some of that down. But in the first half, they were able to kind of go at will. And so it was a little surprising that Oregon State tried to go through the air through Branson as much as they did. Yeah, um, I, think- I don't expect that to be a problem against Oregon, especially when you have a real rush quarterback like like Bo Nix. I think he's number one in the country in terms of quarterbacks scoring touchdowns with like 12 or 13. He's been really efficient that way. I think the thing that's driving both fans base is crazy. Both Washington and Oregon is the third down conversion rate where Washington is number eight in the conference, giving up 47% uh, for the opposition on third down and Oregon at 48%. And who do you think the conference leader is? The, who's the best defense on third down conversion in the conference? Who would you guess without looking? Uh, without looking, I'm going to say Washington state. Nope. I'm going to say either Utah or Oregon State. Stanford. Yeah. 31%. Wow. Well, I think part of that. Maybe it's just because a lot of teams aren't getting to third down. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, they they don't have to worry about third down that much. Uh, Sorry, sorry stealing your thunder there, Chris. Yeah, Stanford with 100 uh, opposition, 120 attempts, uh, Washington with 121 attempts. uh, So pretty close. And uh, Utah has only been in. 99 positions for third down conversions. So they're the leader in that. Excuse me, Arizona. Uh, worst in the uh, conference, just FYI, is um, Colorado and Arizona State's really close. But yeah, kind of surprising with Stanford. But you take a look at this Oregon offense, and even though I think Washington's offense is pretty good, you take a look at Oregon's offense, and it just seems, uh, I'm, maybe it's me, but that offense at Oregon's running seems on another level. And I think the reason being, I just think that they have more weapons and they have more depth with weapons. Well, the, the two transfer <clears throat> tailbacks that they have in are just they're fast. They're they're explosive. They can get up to full speed really quick. They do a good job with their run scheme. I think they're doing a lot of zone zone read and and, uh, and uh, zone blocking stuff that they're that they I, these guys just get just get in open space and they really hurt you and they hurt you in a number of ways. And Dan Lanning, I'm sorry, not Dan Lanning. um, uh, Is it Kenny Dillingham? Um, He's, you know, the way he dials up that, that um, offense of theirs and the way he's calling stuff and how dynamic their tight ends are. It, it, there's just so many weapons that you have to deal with. And, and it, 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 you could have four guys covered up and, and completely locked in and, and one other guy, 
a fifth guy gets free and you it could be off to the races. So that's really the thing. And then also, you know, uh, Bo Nix, when he when he scrambles and does his thing, man, it's it's it, he's really tough to contain. Yeah, it just seems like you know, with Washington, if they've got their um, tight ends, which I think are more. Uh, I wouldn't call them dynamic playmakers, although they have been able to do a little bit of that. But their dynamic guys are at wide receiver. And but when you take a look at Oregon's offensive attack, they've got dynamic tight ends. They've got dynamic wide receivers and they've got dynamic running bands, backs. And all of those guys are just explosive. And that's the thing about Oregon. And it's been kind of a theme for them for quite a bit, uh, quite a long time is when they score. It just seems to happen fast. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's that's been pretty impressive with Oregon and, and obviously doesn't get a lot of pub, because generally speaking, these players don't get a lot of pub, is that the offensive line has been pretty dominant. And yeah. not just running the ball, guys. I mean, they have – Bo Nix has only taken one sack all year. I mean, that's ridiculous. When you've played – you know, you're going into week 11. They've played – you know, each team's played nine games. But, man, a lot. One sack allowed? I mean, that just doesn't happen. And so when you're looking at a team that can do that and 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 really allow Bo Nix the freedom to run or pass in their RPO, you look at, you know, you look at the statistics. Bo Nix is well, well behind Michael Penix when it comes to passing the ball. But he's so much closer in total offense because he's averaging basically 50 yards a game on the ground. And when you have a running, you know, a quarterback that basically acts as an auxiliary running back, averaging 50 yards a game on top of what Irving and Whittington and those guys are already giving you, that's a really powerful combination because in the true RPO, you're going to have to have a defense that has really, really good eyes and really good uh, instincts in terms of understanding and watching a lot of film to figure out what this guy is going to do because ultimately he's got the freedom to be able to fake you out, run or pass. And he's been really, really effective this year doing both. Yeah. I think it's going to be key is to keep an eye on that offensive line because the way they're doing that RPO, you know, you've got to be disciplined to stay in there for them to hand it off. But if it's not there, he's going to roll out and he's a dynamic runner. And even when he's rolling out, he can pass the ball. And that's where, you know, we'll see if they get any, you know, offensive lineman downfield uh, calls because uh, we'll see how that goes. But Scott, it just seems like on every play, they've got dynamic guys and, you know, you could stop them for two downs, but on third down, they can hit you hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with Washington's, <clears throat> with Washington's struggles on, on the defensive side of the ball, getting teams off the field on third down, you could third and seven hasn't been a problem for opposing teams at different times. So Washington's really going to have to win on first and second down. And that was one of the things that Eric Schmidt said this, this week. And I think uh, uh, Chuck Morrell uh, said the same thing. And, and it's that we have to win on first and second down to allow our edge guys, probably their deepest and best and most productive unit on the defensive side of the ball this year they have to get into third and long situations so that they can that they can get upfield and, and get after Bo Nix because Bo Nix has not been rushed very much and and that is not uh, me um, uh, you know talking poorly about Bo Nix that he can't handle it's just the offensive line has done such a good job because they've been in third and short or third and medium most of the time they need to get them in third and long and then let their guys get loose and and uh rush the quarterback and if they can get get home a couple times maybe that puts some thoughts into his head so that's really going to be the key 
um, <clears throat> you know, when they face off against the Oregon offense. Again, with the bye week against Oregon State, they were finally as healthy as they have been all year. I don't know that anybody was really um, banged up at the Oregon State game, but again, we're expecting them to be uh, pretty much 100% specifically in the defensive backfield and maybe get Elijah Jackson back um, a little bit more. And then in addition, you know, Chris, with Eddie Ulafosio being back, and he, what did he get, seven snaps last week? Yes, yeah, I, I mean, Scott or Chris, say like um, Eddie gets, you know, uh, plays half the game. Is that really an upgrade from what they've had? Yes. I mean, I would say so. Um, now, getting him back into the frame of mind where he's playing with great eyes and doing all the things that you would expect a player who's played all season to be at this point, which I think we're starting to see a guy like Cam Bright really kind of flex himself and 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 really has fully embraced this defense whereas before in the early games it you could really see him thinking a lot out there and and being a little late to plays because he was slow to react because he was trying to figure out where he was supposed to be now we're talking game 10 that's that's much less of a problem i think he really started to show himself up uh leading tackler at oregon state doing some of the things that you would expect an inside linebacker to do along with uh, Alfonso Tupatala. So I, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to Cam Bright in terms of continuing to improve, continuing to ramp ramp up his knowledge base. But without, with Ula Foscio, he's just such an instinctual player. I think he can go in there and make a lot of plays against those guys because he's been there all year. So he's gotten a lot of mental reps. It's just those physical reps need to come back to him. And as we wrote about this week, we asked him about, you know, how long it really took for him to shake off the rust and really feel like he was back. And he said it took one rep. <laughs> That's all it took. So um, I expect that he could be a factor, but I just don't expect the Washington coaches to push him in there so that he's playing half a game. I'm thinking 15 to 20 snaps tops. And I think the key on the Washington defense is the ability to get some push up the middle. You know, Tuli Latula Gasanoa. I thought he had a great game last week and really made an impact and made a difference. Um, you know, and when you're getting that push up the middle, that's going to open things up for those defensive ends. But, you know, the scary thing again, Scott, you know, you get those defensive ends crashing down and as mobile and as elusive as Bo Nix is, if you can't contain him in the pocket, it can get ugly real quick. Yep. Absolutely can. And and that's why they're going to have to really be on their P's and Q's when it comes to the rushing lanes and and doing what they need to do, because, you know, he when he, if he gets out and he's in open space, you're in some serious, serious trouble. And um, I don't think Washington has a player on their defense that can that can match up against him one on one in space. I just don't. And so you're really going to have to contain him in the pocket and get to him. Yeah, it, it, when was the last time he's as good a running quarterback as I can recall in a while? I mean, I'm trying to think. Even DTR. Um, what about Jaden Delara? The yeah. way he kept plays live. I think I think I think Nix is more dangerous because I think he's a better passer. Well, Man, I'd Jayden also Del- I'd also add too that not not only can he keep plays alive like DTR and Jaden Delora and some of those other guys. He is also a legitimate running threat where I think those other guys, yes, they can make some hay with scrambles, but Nix is making a lot of his stuff happen, not just off scrambles, 
but off of designed runs, off of RPOs where he tucks it and takes it and gets upfield in a hurry. And so when he can do that, he's going to be quite a load. Now, DTR is a bigger guy. I get it. Delora, not as big. But but when Nix actually decides he's going to run, he's a really good runner. And I think that might differentiate himself from the guys who are just elusive and can scramble. He's got all that plus the ability to become almost like an extra running back when he decides to tuck it. Yeah, like I said, you know, I thought Thule had a great game, but I think Washington has struggled with that other interior guy. Nobody has played up to the level of Thule, and we'll see if Jacob Bandis or um, uh, Tuitele. Yeah, or MJ Ole. MJ Ole just last week just looked like he really struggled to get off of blocks. I mean, I thought he was okay. He wasn't great, but you got to remember, this is only his, what, eighth or ninth game yeah. in, in playing defensive line at the position. He's, he's still got a ways to go. And I mean, that's what Brechter field when he does actually say something to us, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what he says. He's just like, Hey, you know, he's, he's getting, he's progressing, but the guy hadn't played there in a long, long time. And he's not just going to pick up and, and start playing as well as the other guys are. It's just not, he's no one is capable of doing that. And Scott, those wide receivers led by Troy Franklin, they've got some dudes. Yeah, you just made some people vomit in their mouth right there, Kim. Yeah, you know, I know. I mean, yeah, I mean, Troy Troy Franklin would be a husky if 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 Chris Peterson had remained at the University of Washington. And I know, you know, what what do they say about ifs and buts and candy and nuts and all that kind yeah. of stuff? But but you know, he's he's a guy who we all thought was going to be a dynamic receiver. It took him a little while to kind of work his way in, but this year he's made some really, really big plays. He's leading them in receiving 39 receiving yard, 39 receptions, uh, which is uh, 14 more than the next guy. He's got uh, almost 300 more yards receiving than the second guy. He's at 636 yards receiving and he's got five touchdowns. There's one other guy with five touchdowns. That's Terrence Ferguson, the tight end. Other than that, no one's even close to him as far as receiving touchdowns. He is their threat. Is Washington going to put a safety over the top and not let him get free? Is Washington going to bracket coverage him? Do these guys in this Husky secondary even know what bracket coverage is? Because I haven't seen a lot of it. They, they do so much man-to-man that it's just hard for me to know what they're going to be able to do against them because Troy Franklin can get open. And even if he isn't open, Bo Nix has confidence in him to throw the ball up in the air and let him go up and get it. Terrence Ferguson, the tight end, you know, you mentioned, and that was a guy that Washington was on hard. Yeah, they, they were after him hard. And also um, Maliki Matavao, if, if Jordan Pow Pow had remained as the tight end coach, he probably is a Husky right now. So um, you know, these are some other guys that Washington really, really liked, really, really wanted, and they were talented kids, and they just didn't get them, and Oregon did, and they're they're reaping the benefits of. It. Yeah, they're loaded. I mean, yeah. make no mistakes As about usual, it. As usual, Oregon's yeah. always loaded when it comes to a talent standpoint. They always yeah. are. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, Oregon's got a better roster than Washington right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No, I, there's no doubt. I think I don't the, disagree uh, with that. The post the post game uh, meetups are going to be interesting because you talk about Matavao, uh Scott. He's from the same high school as Troy Faltanu. Yeah. And you talk about Troy Franklin. He's from the same high school as Daniel Haymuli. So there, you know, you talk about those connections because Washington had done a really good job at that point of really getting into those schools 
and really getting guys to, to buy into what they were doing. Yet at the end, like you were talking about, when there was a transition between coaches, some of those guys that probably would have been Huskies decided to go elsewhere because of the coaching change. And now you're going to see an interesting dynamic after the game, see how those guys, I, mean, I assume it'll be all love and, and everything will be fine. And, and you go on and you play the next game, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, see what happens after the game. Josh Connerly, the big tackle from Rainier Beach, got a touchdown pass here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the the needle keeps getting dug in time and time again, and and that you'd expect that after you know when you're talking about a big rivalry game, Kim. I mean, this is, you know, when people talk about the point down there with with Jake Browning and things like that, you know that rubs them the wrong way when everyone talks about seventy to twenty one, and so you know there's a lot of Oregon fans that want to see Oregon beat Washington 70 to 21 this year. I think they could put up 70 points. <laughs> I, I don't think they will, but this is a, this is an offense that Oregon has right now. That's very, very balanced. And it starts up front with the, with the line that I talked about. And uh, I agree with, with Scott wholeheartedly in terms of Washington. I don't think has anybody that can spy on Bo Nix effectively. They might be able to get to him a, a time or two, but more likely than not, he's going to burn them. And so it's really going to be up to Washington to give him some different pictures to come up with some turnovers. Turnovers that they have not been able to create all year long, which is another part of this equation. If Washington was opportunistic defensively, like like USC, for instance, that might be one thing. Now, they have been able to stop people. They do the bend but don't break thing, and they've been able to stop some people on fourth down. Get some get some of those turnover on downs late you know you know late in field possessions, but the bottom line is is if Bo Nix just does what he's been doing the last month month and a half, I, I don't see any I don't see any way Washington shuts them down defensively. Well, I think that when you take a look at Bo Nix, he was down at Auburn, and Scott, is it fair to say that a lot of people wanted him gone from Auburn? He, I almost got uh, run I, out of there. I don't. He, I don't know if "run out of there" is a good way of saying it. I I will say that they weren't sad to see him go. How about that? That's probably a better way of saying it. In the first game against Georgia, he was revert. It seemed like he was reverting back to a lot of the things that happened at Auburn, and there was a lot of nervousness. And I think for Washington to have a chance to win this game, they need the Auburn version of Bo Nix or the Georgia version of Bo Nix. But we haven't seen that since the Georgia game. And, you know, Georgia is just so dominant defensively. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But if, if Bo Nix struggles, you know, Washington's, Washington's that's their, that's their chance. That's their that's, chance. Yeah. If, if Washington is going to win, Bo Nix has to not play very well. And Washington's offense has to play one of their better games offensively. <laughs> And as dynamic as Oregon's offense has been, Washington's offense has not been a slouch, and Oregon's defense has struggled as well. That and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. We're back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Oregon week, 4 o'clock kickoff at Autzen Stadium, and it looks like temperatures expected to be high 40s, mid 40s, and maybe get a little chilly towards the end of the game. So uh, bring some layers. And just a reminder, if you're driving down and have those Washington plates, do the speed limit. <laughs> don't, don't get caught with a with a speeding ticket. But um, this Washington offense, I know they struggled a little bit last week against Oregon State, but when it came down to it, they scored when they needed to. And how comfortable do you feel with the ball in Michael Penick's hands? Well, 
for for me, this is just me speaking here. I mean, I always have confidence when when Michael Penix is out there running the offense. I I always have confidence that Washington is going to be able to go out and score. I you know that 93, 94, whatever it was yard drive that they that they had um, to end the game against Oregon State. Nineteen plays. Uh, he was just dialing it up, and it wasn't like he was doing big explosive chunk plays. He was he was throwing for five yards. He was throwing for seven or eight yards. He was he was handing it off. He was making adjustments with the run, with the uh, blocking. He was he was doing different things. Just showed calm and cool and collected. And and I mean that's what you want to see from your quarterback. And and so I think let let's say by some miracle Washington's down, you know four points with you know, two and a half minutes remaining, I have every confidence that he's going to get them down and get in position to make a score. Now, d- will it actually happen? I don't know. But heading into that, the start of that series, I, I have every confidence that he's going to be there. He's been there before. He's done it. He showed a calm and collectiveness that we haven't seen from a Husky quarterback. I mean, I don't, I don't think Dylan Morris showed like he was deer in headlights or anything like that. I don't think Sam Heward did that last year. Don't think, uh, 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 what's his face? Um, and he, Jacob Easton. I don't think he. I don't think he felt that. I. I think Jacob. Uh, you know, Jake uh, Browning didn't do it either. But for, for some reason, when he's out there, it just seems so calm, and he doesn't seem to get worked up. He doesn't seem to get overly excited. And I think that's huge for the leader of that team. Hey, hey Chris, if Washington was to win the toss. Um, do you defer and give Oregon the ball to start off the game as dynamic as their offense is, or do you have the confidence in your offense? Last week was the first uh, game this year that Washington had not scored on their opening drive. Do you defer or you take the ball? Well, I think common common wisdom has them deferring. Now, you may think that. Now, because the one thing, and, and, I, and I understand what you're talking about, because I would, I would believe – the one thing that you've seen when it comes to Penix and, and maybe the one flaw this year, if you were to pick out a flaw and it's very difficult to pick out a flaw, but if you did, it would be the fact that sometimes he feels the need to press if they're from behind or if he thinks he needs to make a play or make something happen. Um, now we saw that with the pick six against Oregon state, but that, you know, the game was tied at that point. He, I think he just made a bad decision on that particular one. My my feeling is it's more like UCLA, where he threw some some really ill-advised throws in that game when they were behind. Um, so yeah, if you know if you could guarantee now if it, the caveat is if you could guarantee that Washington scores on that opening drive, I think you take the ball all day long. But the fact remains, they make this coaching staff has shown itself to be really really good at halftime in terms of coming out making adjustments on both sides of the ball to make something happen. Now. Is it going to matter? I think is the real question. Is it going to matter? Is it going? Is the game going to be tied, or are they going to be down three touchdowns? That's that's the question you really have to ask yourself when you talk about that opening, uh, that coin toss, and whether or not Washington wants the ball or not. Because again, I think one of the things that Oregon has been fantastic on is that they've put the boot down on their other on the other team's throat. And they've been very, very good at, at snuffing them out, or not reasonably early, but early enough so that by the time the end of the game comes, the, the balance, the game is not in the balance. So they've scored early. That allows their defense to pin their ears back, and then they just kind of go from there. 
Scott, do you think Oregon comes out and just dares Washington to run the ball, comes out and uh, plays seven defensive backs and yeah, run the ball against us and just tries to deny Michael Penix that air game? Yes, I do. If if they're smart, that's what they're going to do. Yes. But then again, Tosh Lapoy is the defensive coordinator, and I know that he likes to get after the quarterback. And so maybe they won't do that. I don't know. But I would think if they were smart, they're going to drop. They're going to drop guys in coverage and make Washington nickel and dime them down the field. It's much harder to go, you know, 10, 12 plays and go 75 yards than it is to go five plays in 75 yards. It's much harder to do that. More chance for mistakes, more chance for Washington to give up a sack, to have a penalty, to throw an interception or fumble the ball. A lot of negative things can happen to teams when they try, when they have to go that far in, 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 certain numbers of play double digit numbers of plays and and i think that's going to be their their game plan when they come out hey chris what oregon's got two dynamic dynamic linebackers in uh justin Flo and uh sewell but it just seems like they haven't had the impact that many thought um are, well, are you talking this year or yeah this year yeah yeah, Sewell, Sewell's the real deal. Let's not let's not yeah. you know, let's let's not mince words there. Noah Sewell's the real deal. Justin Flo is the one that's been incredibly disappointing. Now to hit you know to give him the benefit of the doubt, he's been banged up quite a bit so far in his career. But when he does get on the field, he is extremely inconsistent. I mean, you could get a you could get an absolute animal on one play, and then you can get another guy that just absolutely whiffs on a tackle. And we've seen both we've seen both versions this year. So who knows what version of Justin Flo you're going to get on Saturday? Yeah, Flo just, seems, Flo just seems like he's so inconsistent, not only missing tackles but overrunning plays and just out of position a lot. Well, he's a very he's a very aggressive guy. I mean, that's just his mo. His mo is he's going to be aggressive. He's going to be physical with you. If he gets his hands on you, he's going to try to put you down and put you down violently. But the problem with that is if you don't get your hands on him in a way to put you down violently most guys escape that stuff. And so it makes him look foolish. Well, but we'll see if that, we'll see if that comes to pass. I mean, I bottom line is he was a very highly touted guy and a highly yeah. rated guy for a reason. And it's because of the way he plays the game. Now, Noah Sewell plays the game in the exact same way, but Sewell has the ability to still play within himself and really focus and gather and make those big plays that you expect him to make. And and Justin Flo just doesn't have that 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 thing tightened down just quite yet. And Scott, they've got one of the or he's got one of the best defensive backs in the in the country, expected to be a first round draft pick, the, the uh, transfer from Oregon, Gonzalez. Yeah, Christian Gonzalez, man, that guy is an absolute stud. He is tough. I, I have a feeling he's going to be shadowing Rome Odunze everywhere he goes. Um, I watching watching what Oregon does. I've watched. what are they eight and one this year so i've probably watched like seven of their games and they leave him on one side typically but i wouldn't be surprised to see him trail uh romo dunsey all over the field and and try and do everything they can to shut him down this is probably going to be Jalen mcmillan's big game to to make some big plays uh Jalen polk he's going to need to make some big plays and i think taj davis might even find himself getting open for some big plays you might even see giles jackson catch a few passes and and do a few end arounds and things like that, that, that really keep 
Oregon off balance uh, defensively. So, but I, I think Romo Dunsey's going to have some struggles getting open. Christian Gonzalez is the real deal, and he'll be ca- he'll hear his name called. It might if it isn't the first day of the NFL draft coming up next April, it's going to be um, sec on the second day. He's he's no worse than a second or third rounder. And Scott, when you talk about them trying to shut those guys down, I think that's going to give a lot of opportunity to the two tight ends who I think have really stepped up in Jack Westover and Devin Culp. I wouldn't be surprised if they get some early targets. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. Devin Culp has really proven to be a nice weapon for Washington's offense um, this year, especially on those delayed, you know, Texas routes or angle routes, whatever you're going to call them. But whatever they are, he's done a really good job of getting open. I mean, it seems like that's almost like a six-yard run every time you, you know, it's just a long handoff because. Mike Penix can just wait till the guys go by him and they throw him the ball and the linebackers are far enough away from him now that that they can do something with that. And so what happens? Maybe Oregon pulls up on that. You know, the the linebacker plays a little more shallow on his drop and now they can run somebody behind him for an even bigger chunk play. One of the wide receivers. So there's a lot of things you can do off of that. Um, Jack Westover is just a guy. He's just Mr. Consistent. He doesn't do anything you know, overtly well, he's just really consistent, does, he's a pretty good blocker, he's a pretty good receiver, pretty good route runner, he's just pretty good at everything that he does, and I think, and whereas Devin Culp, I think, is a better, has, as when he gets the ball in his hands, he's pretty special, but, um, you know, for a long time, it had been kind of a question about whether he'd catch the ball, well, now he's starting to catch the ball, and his blocking has gotten better, but it, if, if you're ranking, Route running, catching the ball, and and uh, blocking. Blocking is still probably his third best trait as a football player right now. And Chris, people talk about Jack Westover and kind of under the radar, but it just seems like every game he makes a play that makes a big impact. Yes, he does. And it's just by doing his job. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the week, how uh, DeBoer was surprised on the touchdown pass from Penix to him in the corner against Oregon State, where he thought, you know, maybe it was going to be a scramble or maybe there was – something he did, you know, different with his route to get open. But it was really, it was the defensive back peeking in the end, peeking to see where Penix was going to throw. And he just continued his route and he did his job and he found himself wide open in the end zone. So just by doing his job, Jack Westover has proven to be a very valuable piece of this offense. And between him and Culp, they're, they're going to make some plays against Oregon, I think. That will certainly help them move the chains, if nothing more. And that in itself is going to hold a lot of value. And then, like Scott said, we've we've certainly also seen what they can do in the run game, too. And Devin had his issues in catching the ball, but I think those days are behind him. He's been pretty consistent. It's just that when people lock onto a guy where he's dropping some balls, if Devin Culp uh, does drop a ball, fans just go ballistic, same as Jamal Bay on the basketball team missing a three. He can go four for seven, but, you know, people remember the three that he didn't make. But I think Devin Culp, he's a big dude, Scott. I mean, he's a big, big dude, and uh, he's a pretty good athlete. He was a pretty good basketball player back in the day. Yeah, he was, and and he was a really good running back at Gonzaga when he played. He did not play wide receiver. People just projected him because he was so big uh, to be out at wide receiver tight end. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's showing proving to be a very special athlete. Uh, we were talking to Coach DeBoer as well as uh, Lee Marks about the running back rotation last week against Oregon State. We only saw two ball carriers in Wayne Talapapa and um cam davis do you either one of you expect to see anything different this week no i i I expect to see those two guys 
try to make some something happen. Um, now, if they get closer to the goal line, could they bring in a Richard Newton? Could they bring in, you know, Will Nixon is someone that I know that they've tried to want to fold in here the last week or so, but he hasn't necessarily been 100%. You know, even Sam Adams, you know, started to get a little bit of run here, and then he's had a step back because he hasn't been uh, feeling 100%. So there's options there. There's certainly options there. But I do think at this point, it's pretty much settled that Talapapa and Cam Davis are the are the two leading running backs of this team. And when it comes to the run game and it comes to something making something out of it, those are the two guys that, that you really have to look at to try to get something done. Yeah, I think the only guy who's got a chance to see uh, to get a few carries other than those guys would be Richard Newton. I don't think he was 100 percent last week. No. He wasn't. So, I mean, they really kind of talked about how that, I mean, talking to Lee Morks this week, you know, I mean, they just, they're not going to put those guys in situations if they don't think they can perform. And at this point, it was clear that Telepapa and, and CD were the guys that they really had the most confidence in and trust in to, to make plays. And to their credit, they made plays, a lot of plays against Oregon State. Well, the other thing is, is you've got to be able to get the reps because I think the game plan for Oregon is going to be a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. And they need the reps on the place that they're going to run. So um, I think the guys that are going to get the reps uh, on game day are the guys who got the reps in practice. You can't go to the third and fourth string guy and just, you know, run power. I think it's going to be a little more sophisticated than that. And Scott, we've heard the, um, you know, Lee Marks talk about there's more to being a running back than just running the ball. You have to know the plays. You have to know the pass protection. And you brought up earlier in the week with Wayne Talapapa, he's as good of a blocking running back as we've seen in a while. Yeah. From a, from picking up the blitz, man, there was just, and you know, Chris will, Chris and I talked about it up, up, up in the booth. We talked about it post game and we talked about it this week on the air. You know, it, it's just the way he washed out some of those blitzing linebackers was, about as impressive as I've ever seen. And I've been covering this team for close to 20 years. And I've been watching them since I was about six or seven years old. So, you know, this he's really one of the best blocking uh, backs that I've seen in a long time. And, and people are wondering why a guy who isn't quite the most dynamic runner that you're going to see, he's not terrible, but he's not a, a super dynamic guy running the ball. But the reason he's in there is because he gives them so much in pass protection and he can also be a good receiver aside from the cow game. He can be a really good receiver out of the backfield. Yeah, it's it's going to definitely be an interesting game and a lot of things to keep your eyes on. And, uh, you know, before we uh, wrap it up, Scott, recruiting, not a lot going on, but maybe just touch bases on a little bit. I saw that uh, Jaden Lemar expected to be on the sidelines for the Oregon game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Washington is I think Washington is still talking to him, but I think they're really set with Tybo Rogers as their as their one running back in the class. And then maybe going out into the portal to find another experience back since Talapapa is going to be gone after this season. And and so we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. But but I think I. I think what what you're going to see start to happen is we're going to start confirming guys for the Colorado game. I know 
One guy that's going to be up there for um, his official visit is going to be Devin Bryant, the linebacker out of St. John Bosco. He's going to be up for his official visit uh, for the Colorado game. Diesel Gordon, the defensive back out of Texas, has told me that he's planning to come up for the Oregon game. He isn't 100% sure. At least he wasn't the last time I spoke to him. So I need to, I told him I'd catch up with him on Sunday, uh, tomorrow, um, to just kind of you know, see what he's thinking and with what his family's planning to do and everything like that. I know that you're probably going to see about five or six other guys possibly commits um, come up and visit. I did talk to a couple of the 2024 guys who are committed. They're planning to be um, at, they, they told me that they'd like to come up and make it up for one more game. EJ uh, Kamenong, as long as they're not playing on Saturday next week, he will probably be there too. So that's kind of what you're looking at um, as far as visits. And then the big push is going to come after the season. Now, Washington's kind of a long shot. I think they need a lot, a lot of help to, in order to make that uh, Pac-12 championship game. But um, you're going to see two pretty decent sized visit weekends, um, you know, not even remotely close to the 25 guys or whatever, how, what was it, 23, whatever it was that last week of June, you're probably talking about three, four guys in for each of the two weekends that they want to bring guys in. There's some guys who they've offered late that they're talking to about possibly coming in for official visits. And that's what you're going to do. But I think they want to have their entire class, if possible, I think they want to have their entire 2023 recruiting class wrapped up on December 21st. That's the first day of the mid-year signing period. It's the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Those are the only open days for signing in mid-year. And I think Washington hopes to be done then, focus on their bowl game whenever that is, and then, um, and then uh, you know, turn their focus to 2024 in the portal. And that's kind of what you're going to see. Scott, I, I, I'm looking at them maybe, maybe taking one or two more guys. And well, I, 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 I don't think you can put a number on it, Kim. I, I know what you're saying, but I, I think if they find the right guys, I mean, seriously, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but what if a five-star guy came out of nowhere and, and started showing interest and said, hey. Well, I, yeah. And that's you, the kind of guy I think that they will take. But I just think they're going to save as many as they can for the portal, especially getting defensive backs in. But that's I think a lot need. of – well, they do, and they also might need some wide receivers because both Romo Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk can all leave. Now, I don't think all three of those guys will leave, and honestly, I think all three could end up staying, but I think the likelihood is you're going to see at least one leave, and if that happens, you're going to have to replace them with a dynamic guy, and maybe it isn't a younger guy. Maybe it's a guy who's experienced and has one season left. I guess it's just kind of preemptive because what's going to happen is if Washington doesn't take any more, if they're done with their class and they don't take anybody, you're going to have a few people overreact to that. But I wouldn't be so quick to judge that. I'd be more curious on what they're going to bring in from the portal because it's going to, it's an important part of recruiting right now. And it's going, uh, the portal's going to have an impact on the team that Washington has next year because the guys they bring in from the portal We'll see the field. You're gonna, you, well, they've got 18 guys on the on the commit class right now. They they lost uh, Sua Lafotu, but that was more the, a mutual parting of the ways kind of a situation. So you're talking about 18 guys. I could see them taking two, maybe three more. That puts them at 21. They've got that'll give them like four or five uh, spots for uh portal guys and then we'll see what happens with 2024 i think 2024 is when you're going to see them really really hit the recruiting trail because in all likely it, it, it's the same for the nfl 
you always want to build your team through the draft, but you want to supplement with free agency. Well, it's the same for college. You want to build your team with high school kids from the recruiting class, but you want to add certain guys from the portal that can make you better for that year. Oregon week, Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah, no, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. I think there's a lot of national attention, uh, deservedly so, on this game. There's a lot on stake for both teams. I mean, obviously, Oregon's trying to, to get their noses back in the playoff conversation after the Georgia loss. And Washington obviously still wants to be a factor in the Pac-12 title race. And so there's so much on the line in this game. We remember what happened the last time Washington went to Oregon in 2018. It came down to a 37-yard field goal for the win. I have a feeling if it comes down to a 37-yard field goal for the win this time around, Peyton Henry would make it. And I think he's probably been thinking about this for quite a while. And I, I hope uh, it would be a hell of a redemption arc for him personally. But uh, as my prediction, uh, as I posted earlier in the predictions yesterday, that uh, I just don't see a way Washington stops Oregon offensively. I think they're just too strong. Bo Nix is get playing with too much confidence. He's, uh, you know, in the Heisman consideration, legitimate Heisman consideration. Um, Michael Penix is having an absolute ridiculously good year, and I think he's going to keep them in it as much as he can. But I just get the sense that they're going to play from behind, and it's going to be really, really tough to catch up. Not too many teams can catch up at Autzen Stadium and, uh, and, and overtake a team that's playing with that much confidence and playing that, that well. So I, I, I predicted an Oregon win. Um, I think Washington will score a lot of points. They'll get their yards. But I just don't think that uh, at the end of the day, Washington has what it takes defensively to stop uh, an attack that's number two in the country in total yards. So hope, hope to be proven wrong. A lot of crazy things have happened in Austin Stadium. A lot of crazy things have happened in this particular rivalry. And I expect some more craziness to happen today. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh, you know, I, a lot, it's hard when Chris goes before me because I'm echoing a lot of what he says. But I I agree with him. I I, I think Washington's going to be able to score. I just don't see their defense being – if, if Oregon's punter punts more than once or twice, I'm going to be shocked um later today i i just i just don't have a lot of faith in this defense right now um i hope they prove me wrong and it would be much more fun to cover a, a win than a loss but i i picked washington to lose by 19 in this game um 54 35 is what my final score prediction was washington's still going to put up points offensively i just don't think it's going to be enough against what's one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country not just in the pac-12 but the entire country and and Bo Nix is so hard to cover, you know, you know, and somebody asked me earlier this week how Washington could stop Bo Nix. And I said, can they is there any way that they can uh, kidnap him and have him not show up at Hudson? Because I think that's the only way I think this kid is is going to be is juiced and, and ready to go. And and he wants to make a point that, hey, I, I'm I'm the guy you've all seen for the last nine weeks, nine, last eight weeks. And. And um, Washington's going to have their hands full. I, I think it's going to be a loss, but you know what? They still have two very winnable games um, following up. And, and if Washington goes nine and three to end this season and gets into a, I don't know, an Alamo bowl or something like that. I think it's nothing but a successful season for Kalen DeBoer in his first, uh, first season as head coach. 
I remember a long time ago watching a basketball game with Bill Russell was doing the color commentary and he somebody asked Bill Russell how he would guard a certain player. I can't remember what it, who it was. And he goes, well, I'd kidnap him. I might wind up in jail, but I wouldn't get embarrassed. And that might be the 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 key to Washington winning the game this afternoon is kidnapping Bo Nix. But, you know, the game down at Autzen Stadium, I always say it's the kinder, gentler Autzen Stadium uh, back in the old Autzen Stadium. I think it was a little bit more rough and tumble, but with the new Watson Stadium, it's a really nice stadium, and Oregon does it, you know, as, as good a job as anybody in the conference in their game day experience. They do it right. The crowd gets there early. They stay late, even in the 70 to 21 blowout. Uh, you know, if Washington was ahead 70 to 21 in any team in Husky Stadium, no matter who it was, that stadium would be half empty by the end of the game. And, you know, Oregon fans, credit to them. Even in that 70 to 21 blowout, those guys were still hanging in there. Um, maybe they were waiting for traffic to die out. I don't know. But, you know, Autzen, the new Autzen Stadium is nowhere near as raw as um, it's more corporate. Yeah, it's more. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say it's more wine and cheese. The tickets are a lot more expensive and that may have something to do with it, too. But, you know, all the stories that we used to hear uh, about fans going down to Oregon, we just don't see that much anymore. I guess if you're looking for trouble, it's not hard to find. So as long as you behave yourself, there's not there's not going to be any problems down at Otson. That's not my experience anyways. So, um, and again, uh, four o'clock kickoff. So, uh you know, it's better than the 7.30 kickoff, Scott. Much, yes, much, much it is. Yeah, and if we have any rain delays or anything like that, you know, Scott, you know, you're always the first to volunteer to stay as late as it takes, right? Yeah, and that's not what my text said last week. <laughs> or Fetters. All or right. Fetters text. Yeah, all right. Hey, don't roll me under this bus. Hey, you're the one who posted the second post. Come on. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. All right, you guys. All right. Well, hey, again, four o'clock kickoff, Big Fox at Autzen Stadium. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eckland. Go dogs. 